Pubcast. Cultivated this method, which is called the ACE method, which is predicated on acceptance, compassion, and empowerment. And to me, what was also interesting when I wrote this is the publishers were really challenging me and saying like, who is this written for? Like, you know, we can't market it unless it's written for a certain population. I said, no, this is the way to guide your life so that you're living your best life and living the life you want. Welcome to the Liberated Healer podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your host, Gina, offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, everybody. Gina Cavalier here, the Liberated Healer podcast. And today we have Dr. Michelle Maidenberg on. Um, she's written a couple books, but the one that we're focusing on today is Ace Your Life, which is an amazing, complete guide and workbook to help you through anything that you want to transform in your life. So welcome, Michelle. How are you? Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I have to say, you are one of the few podcasters that asked for the book and actually read it. So I want I want you to I want to say that out loud because I really, really appreciated that. Oh well I love that because some people say, you know, here's a PDF and um without knowing my background, you know, I, I struggle with, you know, reading online. I'm online all the time and it's hard for me to yeah. digest information. So some people don't want to send the book. So <laughs> thank you for actually doing that. And I actually keep a library of everybody I've had on the show that way. And it's very meaningful and it's a great exchange. So I appreciate that willingness to do that as well, because I know that, you know, all it could be a little costly and stuff, but um, it's better is better this way. So I appreciate that. Um, you are definitely a guided light in our world. Um, you know, just all, you know, taking your intelligence, doing the schoolwork to get through everything that you had to do, but then also a hundred percent giving back in the ways that you do with the boys and girls club. Um, in the, at the, this book is truly detailed and crazy. I mean, it must've been insane to do it. And then also I really love the uh, 501c3 that you have that's um, helping people at the end, end stages of life do videos for their friends and family. Um, so, you know, you just have a lifelong, uh, you know, of helping people. So let's give a little bit of a background and what your what led you to this book and things like that. Sure. Sure. So I'm a private practitioner. I have a private practice in Harrison, New York. Um, yes, I, I definitely dedicate my life towards, you know, my mission is really helping other people. And that's what drives me. That's what motivates me. That is completely who I am. And also it encompasses my values. And a lot of my work is value based. You know, it's really, really important to me. So um, I also I teach a mindfulness, how to integrate mindfulness practice. Um, and clinical practice at NYU, which I love doing also. I also do, you know, weekly um, uh, guided meditations on YouTube, which I love doing. And I also write for Psychology Today on a variety of different topics. And I'm always trying to share little tidbits and, you know, um, words of wisdom, so to speak, to help people, you know, in, in a multitude of ways. Um, so I do have advanced training in a, m a number of different treatment. Uh, modalities. And then I write a ton because I love doing that. And it's such a amazing creative outlet for me. 
and it helps, you know, and I don't only write on self-help, but whenever there's a topic that comes out in the media that I have like a strong passion for, like I'm also an advocate. I really believe in advocacy. You know, I recently wrote an article about a suicidality and fentanyl poisoning amongst um, teens because I was having like a number of people in my practice, which was just so sad, so sad and really emotionally impacted me that we're dying of fentanyl poisoning. You know, I had one, one parent who I was seeing for some time um, for anxiety and his senior high school, senior son, one time, one time, um, yeah, um, experimented with a pill and it was laced with fentanyl, you know, and I, I could go on and on. I, I could tell you story after story, just the atrocity that, and people don't know about it. Parents don't know about it. They don't talk about it with their kids. And I was just aghast. So whenever there's a topic that I think is important to get out in the media, um, you know, I really try to write about it because I really want to get the word out. Unfortunately, those are the blogs that don't get as much viewing, which is shocking to me. Really? <laughs> because my, yeah, my self-help blogs get like hundreds of thousands of readers and then those get like thousands. And I'm like, what? Because, <laughs> wow. you know, as a parent, when I see a topic that's written about teens that has to do with health and safety, I'm all, I'm, I'm on that, you know, so that really surprises me sometimes. But, but I think it also just has to do with, um, you know, the span of, of how far it reaches, you know, it's kind of social media, right? So we don't have any control over that sometimes. Um, so anyway, um, and I do a variety of different things, like I said, to really help people. I do a lot of work around anxiety, around trauma. Um, I do a lot of work around relationship challenges, you know, um, it, it's really vast. It's really has more to do because people always ask me, you know, what type of people do you work with? And it's, I say it's more about the treatments that I use. Yeah. Because I have advanced training in certain treatments um, that is very versatile, which is wonderful. And I, you know, cultivated this method, which is called the ACE method, which is predicated on acceptance, compassion, and empowerment. And to me, what was also interesting when I wrote this is the publishers were really challenging me and saying like, who is this written for? Like, mm -hmm. you know, we can't market it unless it's written for a certain population. I said, no, this is the way to guide your life so that you're living your best life and living the life you want. Yeah. And the skills I use with kids, I use with teens, I use with adults. And what's so beautiful, and I, I just absolutely get so passionate and, and you know, so excited is I hear these teens using my lingo, you know? <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. And we have like this conversation around these concepts, which they encompass in their life. And they ask themselves that question. Like they ask themselves, am I leaning into my values? You know, if I decide to behave this way, or am I leaving outside of my values if I decide to behave this way? And I'm like, my mind is blown when I hear that. I'm like, yes. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> you know, it's creating the, the healthy boundary because it's not just up to the parents. I mean, they can't do all the work by themselves. And if somebody really wants to have a full life and ace their life, like you said, you know, this is a great book for that. You know, especially there's a lot of people that, you know, don't have communicative parents or, you know, you work with ages eight and up, I saw. So you work with very, you know, that very important time frame, eight and up, you know, it's, you know, yeah. how are you going to shape that person's uh, future? 
And um, sometimes the parents have no idea. And so that's why this book is even great if you're a parent and want to, you know, try to get that, um, you know, say, hey, I don't even know the answer, all the answers, you know, but, you know, they need to find these kind of avenues so they can. um, And this, this is versatile. Like literally I use it, I use it with all different ages and I use it a lot with my, you know, clients, my patients who are parents. I use it a lot in parenting skills. And I yeah. use it myself yeah. with my own parenting skills. So they're, they're definitely versatile for sure. And I want to go back just for a second on what we we're talking about that you, those blogs don't get a lot of attention. I just feel like yeah. there's a lot of denial <laughs> that happens and with something so heavy like that um, and thinking that it could happen to them. And that's where I feel like that's happening and that the truth is it's everywhere, you know, and yeah. everywhere that you go and you, you can't, you really can't let anybody get near that stuff. It's, they were saying police officers, even when they're trying to help someone, they get it ingested into their, by their hands and things like that. And they're having to go to the hospital. I mean, it's so intense. The problem with it, unfortunately, is it takes very little to be lethal. Yeah. Where other types of substances and, you know, it takes, you know, a large amount, this takes a very small amount. Like if you could imagine this kid took one pill and it led to his demise. I mean, a pill, one little pill and it was lethal. So, you know, we're talking about a very serious chronic problem. And I, I know that when I speak to my kids, I emphasize to them, I said, I say to them, if you want to drink, not that I'm advocating for drinking, but you know, drink rather than taking any kind of substance, like you're safer doing that, you know, and again, yeah, in moderation in a healthy way and being, you know, conscious and mindful and all of that. Yes. Yeah. So we hope everybody can like notice that's 911 and look at your world around you and have these conversations. So how can someone ace their life? Oh, the number of the other thing I wanted to mention on your website, which is really very informative and amazing. When you go there, you have a take a quiz. Are you stuck in your life? And it's 14 minutes. And I, that is amazing because. Oh, thank you. Because you can have a book is a big commitment, right? And it's overwhelming if you're going through trauma, you know what I mean? Someone who's gone through a lot of different traumas. Sometimes I couldn't get through a book and I just needed that's why I love YouTube in these conversations. Cause if I can't, if, if I can't do anything, I can put YouTube on and just close my eyes. Right. Or do a yeah. meditation. Right. But I, I like the, are you stuck 14 minutes? Cause so many people are stuck mm-hmm. and they are just a little bit lost. So I've been sending that link to people and just that are my friends that are saying, I don't know what my next step in life is. I just know that I want to move from here. And can we, can you talk just briefly about being stuck? Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually, you know, when somebody asks me, what is this book about? That's exactly what I say. It's about stuckness. We all, every single one of us could relate to that. We all are stuck in some kind of way. It could be, like I said, a relationship, you know, kind of challenge. It could be something personal that comes up. It could be anger and frustration. It could be whatever it is, you know, we all are, you know, we're not unscathed because we all have adversity in our lives, you know, like kind of the Buddhist precepts are foundationally are around life is full of human suffering. You know, we have an expectation that we're supposed to like have this great, wonderful, seamless life. And that's actually not the case at all. (laughs) Because if you're human, you're going to go through adversity. It's kind of right. It goes hand in hand with being a human being. So you kind of have to know how to pivot and roll with the punches in order to cope effectively. Right. 
Um, so you could, I always say you could have adversity and cope effectively at the same time. One doesn't have to obviously prevail the other. So, um, you know, ace, acing your life and, you know, getting through stuckness as we call it. And again, I know that's a pretty ambiguous word, but stuckness, stuckness is around anything that that is for you. And I could speak, I'll speak, you know, to my, you know, for myself, something that comes up for me personally is I know I get triggered. Um, and by the way, that's going to be my next book because <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated by getting triggered. Um, and what happens is, you know, I have a narrative that I, that plays out that is so based on my history and so based on my neural pathways, you know, and what's been integrated into my neural pathways in my, you know, childhood and my history. And I just go right there, zoom, you know, with, without even without even a minute, it's kind of like this, you know, it's my neural pathways. I can't help it. Now I, I've, I've fortified right this space between the thinking and doing, and I'm working on that every day of my life. I strive, but I sometimes get stuck. I sometimes get hooked. And when that happens, right, I really have to use my skills because then I could act out in a way that's definitely not in line with my best self. So I have to really feel it in my body. I have to recognize what's going on in my mind. I have to really act from a mindful place, right? I have to be real with myself and have to face myself and recognize this part of myself that I would, most people beat themselves up for having that part. They have disdain for that part. They want to avoid that part. They want to get rid of that part. But when we disdain parts of ourselves, we're disdaining all of ourselves. That affects our self-confidence. That affects our decision-making. That affects our interpersonal relationships. And I could go on and on and on and on. It, it's endless. So when we're able to really face ourselves in a really authentic, genuine, compassionate, exclamation point, way, all of that changes. And it's magic. It literally is. And I always say, tell people, when you make that transition and you're able really to cultivate that self-love and self-compassion, your life follows suit. It's it's just like this beautiful transformation that happens. You know, one thing that I really tried to do so that I put so much effort into is one is to make sure that my book was research evidence based because that's really important to me. I mean, I, I think it's important to offer advice and feedback, and I do, of course, and even um, anecdotes of my life and my you know life of my patients. But it needs to be factual too. It needs to be evidence-based. And I really made it an attempt to do that. The other thing is you could weave in and out of it. Not everyone's stuckness, right, looks the same. So you extrapolate the skills that are pertinent to you. And that's the point of this book and just the work that I do. You know, there's no cookie cutter. And I always tell people, they always say to me, it's just, I just got off a call before this. How long do I have to be in treatment? And what does that look like? And I said, you know what? I wish I had an answer to that question. <laughs> Except, that that, <laughs> Except that I haven't even met you. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know what, you know, your history is. I don't know what, you know, some of the kind of, you know, challenges you're grappling with, um, et cetera. Like I need to have a relationship with you to be able to kind of talk. I need to collaborate with you. You know yourself better than I do. So I, I want to work with you. Like that's not even so much for me to make that decision, that's for the, us to make that decision together collaboratively. Wow. Um, 
I, you know, I just get so giggly and excited because things have changed so much. Uh, persons like yourself weren't really um, led to go down this route of mindfulness and things like, and doctors just have this openness now that they didn't really, they weren't even, they maybe had it, but it, they were kind of told to stay in their box and, and mm-hmm. people need to, number one, you have to say, I will need to heal myself first. They're not saying you can't get help from many different sources, but if you, it, it's like, you know, being an AA or what you have to make that commitment to yourself and say, I know that I have X, Y, and Z, but I'm the only one that is with me 24 hours a day. And mm-hmm. that thing can come up at three o'clock in the morning. And I, I can't have, you know, yeah. you know, all of my support team, you know, on speed dial. Some people don't have a support team, you know, and those are the people that we lose to suicide and other things. And there is a loneliness crisis in the United States. You know, we've made that. And what I feel like we're, we're trying to do is pull people out and, and tell them, you know, you're really not alone, even though you feel alone sometimes, you know, and we're, you know, there's people like us and uh, the tribe that we've created around that, you know, we, we're all dedicating our, you know, I dedicate my, I'm in service, you know, and, and that's why I get up every day is to be in service of myself first. And that Mm -hmm. was really hard for me though, you know, because, um, you know, it it felt so much better to help other people. Mm -hmm. Then when, you know, those, that was a really bad pattern that I was stuck in, which was mm-hmm. like over giving. So uh-huh. I would overgive to the point where I would have nothing, you know, like I would make dental appointments for my friends and family, but my teeth were falling mm-hmm. out is the analogy I would use, you know? So that yeah. was my part of stuckness. And, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people actually do that, especially when they have wounds, uh, especially abandonment yeah. wounds and things like that. And that can lead down a very sad and lonely road, you know? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's, it could be very self-deprecating, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. And that's what you were saying about the, having that disdain because that were, is whether my, that was my storyline, but it's all the same disdain, you know, it's like beating yourself up um, for, and then when you learn how to love those crazy parts about you and, and for, and be like, yeah, I've had X, Y, and Z, you know, and you know, yes. that's part of my, uh, what makes me unique and interesting. And you know what? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is a long journey to get to the other side of it. It can be, if it's so put in your mind that it's such a negative, you know, like whatever it is, like I came from the wrong side of the tracks or I don't have an education or I come from a background, right? And you, we wear these stories so close to our heart. Yes. Well, they, you know, listen, they become part of what we can appreciate about ourselves, which I always have people really kind of hone in on is our adaptations and our coping. You know, our minds and our bodies are incredible at protecting us. I mean, beyond, beyond. And I do work with a lot of people who have anxiety. Anxiety is like one of my specialties. And I can't even tell you how people, like I said, disdain their minds and their bodies because of their reaction to anxiety, right? Because we have a somatic physiological response to anxiety, you know, because of our nervous system, obviously. And then we also have, again, right, kind of 
the neurological and the physiological right makeup in our in our brain and our actually in our minds. And people get like again, they get really, really uh, wound up and they get insistent and they get you know conflictual feelings about the way their mind and their body is reacting. Um, so it becomes like, you know, thoughts about the thoughts and feelings about the thoughts and thoughts about the feelings, et cetera, it becomes a spiral. And then, like you just mentioned, it's this avoidance. They're left with avoidance and they're left with resistance. And, you know, when you get that, that's when you get, like I said, that self-deprecation. You know, mm -hmm. I don't I have any people, I can't tell you people say to me, I don't want to think this way. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want my body to react this way. You know, and they fight with themselves. They get into these battles, literally like these battles. And you know what I say to them? Because this is such a great metaphor. I said, you know, do you know any like kind of toddlers or yes? Yeah. Okay. So I said, what happens if you have a toddler that's tantruming? What happens? What do you do? I said, do you battle with them? Do you battle with them and say, don't stop it? Or, uh, what, what would happen if you did? Well, what do you think would happen? The kid would like, I mean, talk about a tantrum. Like we have tantrum times five, you know, like, right. They'll, they'll just spiral out of control. No, but if you sit with them and you're kind and caring and loving and coddling and nurturing and affectionate, all of a sudden you'll see like slowly, but slowly their nervous system will relax. Yeah. You know, right. And that's just the way we are. We need to be there for ourselves. We can't always rely on the other because we're not always in a position where we can't have the support of the other. And when we do it for ourselves, that's when we're building like authentic confidence, you know? And I always say, I, I just used this example yesterday. So I said, if, if, you know, if you're walking down the street and somebody kind of says to you, you're ugly, right? There's different ways you can react to that. So one person would perseverate over, oh my gosh, I'm ugly, I'm, you know, right? And they would just kind of think about it and get really sad and upset and upset that the person said it. And again, it would last days and days. Right? Another person would say, that was really nasty for that person to say to me. And I'm very insulted, but like, okay, that's their opinion, you know? You know, I'm not for everybody or whatever. Um, why? Because foundationally and fundamentally, they appreciate their level of attractiveness, whatever that is, right? So, you know, when you get triggered or, or you could say, wow, they must be really going through something. That, that's right. That, you know, that kind of reaction. Exactly. Yes. Or, or like have compassion for them and yourself and yourself. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you want that, that to be the case. You know, the point that I was making, though, is when you actually hear things and you and you actually internalize them in a negative way. That is very specifically what you need to be working on. Mm -hmm. It's it's a direct portal to let you know your insecurities and your challenges. I just got a vision of this one video I saw this really little, little girl, maybe four or something like that. Just tell her mom mm -hmm. she was ugly. And the mom was like, no, what are you talking about? And she started crying like, I'm ugly. And um. Like, I just cried when I saw that because it starts so young. Yes. You know, and so, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> so yeah. and then in the schools and things like that. And, you know, so. Well, I have a 14 year old daughter. I have three boys. 
that are older and then I have a 14 year old daughter. I was hearing those things come out of her mouth literally when she was so young. I mean, I was astonished that she had any kind of, well, developmentally, any awareness about all that. Oh, it, it is so, especially with social media and yeah. just, I mean, it, it is beyond, um, you know, but it really has to do again with at your core, you know? Um, so I feel like if you build up that core, right? So like, here's an example. If you say to somebody, um, you did great, right? Or you say to your child, oh, you did great. I, I don't do that. I say to my child, how do you feel you did? Because mm. I want it to come from them. I want them to reflect on their own behaviors and say like, wow, I'm really proud of myself because that's teaching them, right? That positive affirmation and the self-reflection, which we do not learn. We do not learn, especially parents. And, you know, this is just the way it is. We try to, you know, be helpful and caring, but sometimes we could be pretty critical too. And I know I fall into that myself sometimes, yeah. right? But we don't realize the messages that it's sending. So you really want, and I, this is what I teach my patients too. Like you want them to look within. So, you know, when it comes to confidence building, which is a really important piece too, you know, I really connected to our values and I never underestimate any little tiny behavior that is actually leaning towards a value. And I'll give you another example, like thoughtfulness and care is a really core value of mine. So I could tell you throughout the day, I note every single time that I, you know, act in a caring, kind way. It could be the most minute thing. It could be like the other day, <laughs> the other day I was, I was in the city in Bryant Park. Okay. And I'll just, uh, this is just an example. And a woman, you know, she was getting up, coming up the stairs and she had a stroller with a child and, um, you know, she was obviously lifting it up to try to get up the stairs. And right away I ran up to her and I said, Oh, can I help you? You know? And I took note of that. I said, I could have just ignored that because there were plenty of other people there who were probably bigger and stronger than me. Right. Um, and she was actually with somebody too, but I said, no, it didn't matter. Like I wanted to extend that to her because that's who I am. Cause I cared. And, and at the end of my day, I actually sit down, you know, in my meditation and I think about what did I do today to lean into my core values and that directly. So if somebody came over to me, and said to me, you're not thoughtful, I would laugh at them, like literally. <laughs> I would say, you know what? I could tell you this, 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 and this that I did today that was very thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. So Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about um, integrating your shadow exercises that you have in the book? Because I was working on that a little bit. And I think sure. that, you know, people are starting to hear this word shadow and what does that mean? And is it scary yeah. and things like that? Yeah. So shadow is based on Jungian theory, um, Carl Jung. And, um, and my friend, actually, Melanie Ryan, who's an incredible therapist and author as well. She, she actually wrote a book on, on it too. And I'm doing actually, I'm doing personal work with her on my shadow, which has been life-changing. I have to say, yeah, it's been so life-changing. Because I realize, remember how I said I was talking to you about the trigger before? 
I know very specifically what triggers me and where I go to. And that's been life changing for me, like literally, because I asked myself that question and then boom, like my neural pathways like open up and I go right into my prefrontal cortex, which is my kind of processing, thinking, executive functioning mind, rather than my amygdala, which is more the feeling mind, um, which doesn't necessarily lead me to most positive behavior when I'm just kind of solely in my amygdala, which is what we do because of our nervous system getting activated. Mm-hmm. And we go into that kind of parasympath- you know, the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, so that being said, we do have the dark shadow and the golden shadow which, um, so we really do need to face ourselves and to be real and authentic. And that's, that's not such an easy process. You know, I I don't know if you saw my Ted talk, but I did a Ted talk on circumventing emotional avoidance Mm -hmm. and talked about how we have to very slowly, very slowly almost do exposure so that we could lean into and you know, risk avoiding leading into that kind of understanding of our dark shadow. Yeah. So what is a dark shadow? It's parts of ourselves that isn't cultivated. I mean, that's the only way I could say it. It's parts that need to grow. Yeah. And we all have them. We all have them. So the part that that I was speaking to before, and I'll speak for myself, is I know I go right into rejection. That is like my place. You know, my brain just goes there. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's valid, it's valid and, you know, et cetera. And sometimes it's exaggerated also, right? Because I may have a perception about something that's a little distorted based on my narrative. And I have to kind of take a step back and I have to say to myself, and the rejection, which sometimes is unconscious, leads to agitation, leads to frustration, leads to anger, Right. And I could sometimes act from that place. So once I identify what's making me feel, you know, so to speak, rejected, I'm able to really trail it back and ask myself those questions. Like, am I actually being rejected? Is that, is that the, that person's intention? Could I, you know, how could I see this differently if I really open myself up? And how do I want to behave based on these thoughts and feelings? And that really allows me to be a lot more mindful and really take myself, you know, kind of to a mindful, like, again, grounded place. And if I can't get there, because sometimes the activation goes from zero to five and like literally like that, then I will ground myself until I'm able to behave in a conscious way, not in a subconscious or unconscious way. Mm -hmm. So when we embrace this shadow, our shadow self, We learn to integrate the self-love and self-compassion. And it's really more self-compassion than anything. Like, because we're very hard on ourselves. We're we're more hard on ourselves than anybody. (laughs) Um, So we have to, in order to do that, we really do have to evaluate our emotional reactions, which is a very, very important part. We have to get to know our parts, like dig deep and dirty. (laughs) You know, we have to... um, you know, we have to learn how to be self-compassionate because that doesn't always come so easily to most of us. And we have to empathize and express that deep compassion to the parts of us that need the compassion. Those are the parts that need the compassion more than anything. Like my rejected part that I was just talking about, that, and when I feel rejected, that's all I need, literally. You know, from myself and from maybe the other person as well. And I know that it's so, it's so uncanny. Like if somebody comes at me 
with anger and frustration because I had the feeling or because I had the thought or because I had the reaction, I get protective and defensive and I completely, you know, again, my adaptations kind of kick in. But if somebody just comes over to me and they're nurturing and they just give me a hug or they tell me, you know, what's going on, you know, what's happening right now, boom, I am like a different person. My nervous system just automatically relaxes. It's like fascinating because it feels attuned to and that's all it needs in that moment. So, but in that moment, I need to be compassionate to that rejected side because it's, 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 it's suffering in that moment. It's distressed. It doesn't deserve to be berated and, you know, treated aggressively. It needs nurturing. So it really takes time and effort to really learn how to do and practice those skills. Um, and, And what I did is I listed questions that you could ask yourself, you know, so like, for example, um, you know, in evaluating your emotional reactions, the question is what thoughts and feelings got evoked during that dialogue or interaction? Yep. We lose we lose sight of that because we get so hooked and so spiraled so quickly that we don't even have time to even consider that. You know, the question I always emphasize that people should ask themselves is how else can I see this? That is like a magic question. That is literally a question that you should have written, you know, on an index card or a post-it and like plastered somewhere. <laughs> this yeah. is skills for life for men and for women and for children because I used to remember back in before I really did more work on myself that I would something would happen like say a rejection or some like a bad situation or maybe an email or something someone said and I would hold on to that for days for days Mm -hmm. in my Mm -hmm. heart feel the heaviness feel the sadness maybe the loss of the relationship or you know, and then, you know, or the fear or, or the fear of the loss of the relationship. Yeah. And the, all of the emotions that come with it and then the self-deprecating yeah. and then the denial and the avoidance and like everything you're saying. And because yeah. I have, I actually have put a lot of this kind of stuff into practice. I had a recent thing happen a couple of days ago that I think that if that happened to me a couple of years ago, it would have taken me a week to get over. And it was a bad situation and I was very hurt. And I was, I, I, and I was talking to myself with my tools and I just, and I remember thinking, man, I am livid. I am livid that this happened. And I got in the car. I took my dogs to the park. We started walking. Uh, I started looking at it in a different way. And I literally came back within uh, 45 minutes, completely a little bit different and handled it different. The reaction. And I always say when people you know, when somebody emails you or texts you something really emotional too, and you're like, what? You know, <laughs> just don't do anything for a little bit, you know, yeah. just, and yeah. that's the protecting of yourself because you're not going to say the same thing in that moment that you're going to say in 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And those are these tools that you're talking about too, right? Just going to yeah, well, because formatively, if you, you know, I always say that we, I really do teach a lot about kind of the physiology of our minds, because it's really, really critical to understand that. And most people don't understand it. And when I do explain it, they're like, oh, wow, you know, <laughs> they're fascinated. I'm fascinated by neurobiology, you know, personally, but 
Um, and there's so much, what's so lovely about it is because now we have access to MRIs and such sophisticated equipment, we're able to see, like, so for example, people who have chronic anxiety and depression have a different structure mm -hmm. of their brain than a typical person without anxiety and depression. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to kind of understand all of this. You know, we have a difference in serotonin levels, oh. you know? Oh yes. There, so our, our brain, and this is the most important like kind of sentence that you can remember, our brain is wired to protect us. Okay. From danger and to avoid discomfort. Mm. <laughs> it takes its job very seriously at all times. <laughs> very it's good brain. <laughs> yeah. It's reptilian. It's a reptilian brain. And we think of our minds as being so sophisticated. It's like the sophisticated organ because it does all this like cool stuff. But you know what? If you look at your PC or you think about your PC, I'm sometimes I'm like, how did it do that? Like, oh my God, it's so brilliant. No, the PC only does whatever you program it to do. It's the same thing with our brain. Our brain isn't sophisticated in and of itself. It's been programmed. And the beautiful thing about our brain, which I love, is its neuroplasticity. It has the ability to change. We see that with studies with mindfulness. I mean, I do a whole class, which is a two hour class on neurobiology and on neuroplasticity. We have the ability to change the structure of our brain because our the gray matter of our brain, right? Yes, which, which is just like, if you think about how incredible that is, so I just want to reiterate, because you said that um, someone's mind under an MRI, you know, would have the structure will be different under like severe anxiety, depression, but that can change. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I love that. Because I didn't no. want people to leave that and go, oh my God, is because oh, no, it, no, no, no. if you were to see oh. that image, right? You might go, oh, I'm, I'm, that's me forever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's, that's the beauty of doing these practices is that you're actually, so I could prove that to you. Okay. 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 <laughs> so I do transcendental meditation, which is a 20 minute, you know, two day, two times a day, you know, and again, I'm not always like perfectly, you know, I don't perfectly practice, which I, I, I always strive to do better. But, um, so when I first started doing it, you know, it took time for my mind to actually get in a state of deep into my subconscious or unconscious, right? Because my brain wasn't used to it. Do you want to hear how this has transformed? Which is like fascinating to me. Like I'm always amazed by it. Number one, I usually do my meditations early in the morning or in the morning time. And you know what happens in the morning. We wake up and we're planning and we have all this stuff going on, right? And, and our brains are lit, like, I, I don't know about you, but my brain is like, it's like chatty and it's racing and it's like, you know, and I, I'm, I'm a thinker. So I'm always thinking about things and that I need to do and planning and whatever. But now, since I've been practicing it, literally I say to myself, there is no way that my mind's going to rest. Like, there's no way, like, it's not. But when I ground myself and I'm sitting there in a moment of contemplation and meditation, literally it slips right in such a deep state of consciousness that I almost feel like I'm sleeping. Literally, that's how deep it is. And it's my most creative and thoughtful time periods when I have like a thought about something like that I haven't, like a memory or 
something creative that I want to be doing or whatever the case is. The other thing that it does, which is also fascinating, is it's a 20 minute meditation. So you're not supposed to awaken with any kind of bell or sound, you know, to like, you know, kind of uh, distress the nervous system. And it's supposed to be kind of gradual and natural. My mind literally within a minute of the 20 minutes wakes itself up. Mm -hmm. There's no way those things could happen without my mind learning how to do those things. It didn't do it before. It didn't do it before. And you wouldn't be able to handle all the multiple things in your life that you handle with clients and books and things like that too. So it's a a good pathway if you want to, you know, if you have dreams and you want to achieve a lot of different things and also, you know, work on, I don't know, you call it, you know, your history of your, your mind, body, and soul and like digging it through all the parts and the hard things and, and yeah. learning to find ways to love those parts of you. And then um, I feel yeah. like it's when you heal yourself, it's like a drop of water in a pond it, and it, it vibrates yeah. out. And the, everybody around you can see and feel the healing. And it, yeah. it's, it doesn't mean there we're not striving for perfection. And that's something that's got to be just thrown into the, the mm-hmm. truck. And, you know, there that to me, that even sounds boring. Like I, I have no interest in <laughs> like what like that you know and then that's something that's going away with the the 50s and the six you know the old days you know where we're like that would be the perfect this none it's well you you know it's also really interesting so like because I'm working on my triggers now like that's a big piece of work that I'm doing personally and sometimes I, I don't get triggered where I ordinarily would and it's so interesting my brain will say to me why am I not reacting? Like it's expecting me to react. And it's like, it doesn't know what to do with me because I'm not reacting. And it's like, so I, I I sit there for a moment. I'm like, how come not, I'm not reacting? Like, shouldn't I be reacting right now? And I'm, I'm, I'm so shocked. And, and then I'm like, no, this is a good thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Say, um, because I've been working on this, um, you know, I've healed all the suicidal ideation stuff and we're writing a book about it right now. I had to say yeah. though, my triggers with the um, content is I've realized is, um, you know, uh, abusive content. Um, I think I watched, try to put on five different shows recently and four of them had a suicide in them. I think that, um, you know, the people are trying to push the limits of the storytelling to, to, to what is going to wake mm-hmm. people up or be the most intense. And, um, for me, I, that's where I'm kind of struggling because I'd love to have a little bit of a warning. I don't really want to see um, someone jump off a building and I don't want to see someone shooting themselves in the head. And I watched a rom, I thought it was a rom-com and it had a suicidal thing that mm-hmm. happened and it, it did set me back. I had to go back, turn it off, do my tools. Uh, I cried instantly. It, it just was like, almost like, <gasps> and that was like a physiological immediate response to a piece of content and it happens and the people you know people are like i don't want to have to put trigger warnings on stuff and i'm i I have a background entertainment 25 years in the studios so i understand that i don't want to change people's creative minds and what Mm -hmm. they want to produce but as a person just trying to experience some Uh content I don't want I to have to go work on myself for two hours after your thing. And I yeah. didn't know about it because I, why, I uh, could choose something else. So what do you I, think I about totally those like real heavy triggers that are very deep? I, 
Well, I totally agree with you. You know, again, we all have our, you know, kind of triggers and it's, it's, it's hard to know what, how people are going to be triggered in what way. Um, But, you know, and, and there was a whole controversy and especially like among like, you know, teens and young adults, like content that's put out. I forgot. What was that? There was a series that was on some time ago. I can't remember what it was called and Netflix. And it was, I can't remember what it was, but it was about suicidality and and a rape and a a couple of really kind of controversial topics. And parents were aghast, like, because it was pretty graphic and detailed. I can't remember what it was called, but it was some years ago. And um, yeah, like, you don't know what, what somebody went through or what their past history was or whatever the case is. I would say, you know, you, you know, you yourself have to be vigilant. You know, like when I, when I teach my mindfulness class, it's very experiential. So every week my students come in and they're graduate students, I'm doing something that's really challenging them emotionally and otherwise. And I always, always say to them, you know, this may come up, you know, be aware of it. If you're not comfortable doing it, you know, sit it out. If you need to walk out, that's okay too. You know, but again, it's a mindfulness class. I'm a mindfulness teacher, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. So I predicate it that way to make sure that nobody gets, you know, unduly harmed. Um, But the average person's not going to really be aware of that. Unfortunately, they're just not, you know, maybe maybe you can lead us through one of those mindfulness practices today. um, That's like a good segue into, you know, doing a little, little and I appreciate Uh so much and uh, what you're teaching people. And, you know, I love that, you know, therapists can be, you know, PhD educated, you know, with all this intellectual information, and then they can go into this peaceful mindfulness. It just seems like there's such of a balance happening. And I, I yeah. love, I love where we're all heading. And I really think this is what helps people because it's, you know, it's the full bag instead of just parts that, you know, you get one part of a doctor who's just going to do that. So um, yeah. let's get and back. I- yeah. yeah. So what, one thing I also wanted to say, which I think makes my book unique, and I'm so proud of it, is at the end of each chapter, um, which was so important to me, is I included a guided meditation yes. to integrate the skills. Yeah. So it has a bar. It has yeah, scan barcode. Um, so once you finish the chapters and you do some of the exercises, there is the grounding that happen that happens at the end of the chapter too, which um, I insisted on that for my book. You know. Yeah, because that's not, it's not usually done, but I, I really, to me, it's its so important. You know, like you really want a chance to integrate all the information, you know, it's not just enough to learn it. Um, so that being said, you know, we've been talking a lot about grounding. We've been talking a lot about mindfulness. Um, so I'm going to lead you into a guided meditation and it'll be just two or three minutes because I know we're kind of um, thinking about time. But I think what we've really been talking about is just kind of being here in the moment and grounding ourselves, being in tune with our bodies, right? Leaning into our best selves. And this guided meditation is really going to be for relaxation and groundedness. Okay. Um, So if you could get comfortable, if you're sitting in a chair, you could lie down, whatever, you know, whatever posture you'd like to get into. Most important thing is to have a straight back, a straight posture, and you want to put your hands on your thighs, okay? And just make yourself comfortable. And 
If you're sitting, I want you to feel your feet strongly planted on the ground. You could keep your eyes open or closed. Again, whatever you feel comfortable with. And take several long, deep breaths. Breathing in fully and exhaling slowly. And feel your abdomen expand on the inhale and relax and let go on the exhale. And begin to let go of any noise around you, any sounds, and shift your attention from the outside to the inside of yourself. Simply notice your breath without judgment, hearing the sound of my voice. Be cognizant of what you're feeling in your body. Note if there's any tension in any part of your body. And breathe into it and let go of the tension. Without judgment, without criticism. And think about what you'd like to cultivate for yourself. It could be anything. It could be reading a book or connecting with a friend or loved one. It could be changing a habit or learning to practice mindfulness or self-compassion, whatever it may be for you. Try to identify specifically what you would like to work on. And just have that in mind. Imagine whatever that is. That it's sitting on your lap. Put your hands, and again, we're using guided imagery. Put your hands underneath it as if you're cradling it. Right, so if, for example, you want to learn to cope better with your anger, put that anger in your lap and just cradle it in your arms. Let it just sit there. Try to connect warmly to it. Here for you, I care for you. I'll be patient with you. Really feel into those feelings. And take a moment to commit. And think about what you're gonna do behaviorally to make that happen. Notice as you're thinking about that, again, if there's any 
thoughts, feelings, body sensations that are coming up. And just note that. Notice if there's resistance. And just remain curious. And tap into the gratitude and how proud you feel that you're really willing to venture into the space. How challenging it may be, but this is something that you want for you. And hold on to that. Remember this commitment you made through the rest of your day, through the rest of your week, and beyond. And again, take one moment of appreciation for being in this space. That with you as you leave here today. And when I count to three, and when you're ready, you could open your eyes. Three, two, and one. Thank you. Do that while driving. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I I yeah. actually got a good tear in my eye and uh, oh. I, uh, Gina, that, that, I have to tell you that was on the fly. So <laughs> you're just, such, I have to say, I feel really good. Your voice is amazing. My soul was actually just feel, saying, I love her. I love her. Like I really, you really are out there helping people. And I want to thank you from the deepest part of myself and every, you know, people that need this. And, you know, I'm just so grateful because you are in service like fully thank you thank so you. much you know and keep going and thank you for offering to help and for your time today of course always may we send a big hug to anybody who feels stuck go and do her 14 minute um on her website and it'll help you find some answers um pick up ace your life there it's an entire workbook just keep it around just pick what works for you what's resonating with you um, reach out to her on our website. Yeah, and it's it's teachings, by the way. So it teaches you skills, and then there's like an exercise to integrate it, and then the mindfulness. Yeah, like a mindfulness meditation. So it's it's pretty comprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's from Morgan James Publishing, and uh, also it, you have Habitat for Humanity in here that you were working with on that too. So it's a yeah. constant dedication for helping other people. So we're blessed to have you on the show today. Thank you. And this has been Liberated Healer. Please like, share, and subscribe. It really does help us. Really, really does. Um, and share with anybody that needs this. Um, and we just sending you big hugs and love today. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at liberatedhealerpodcast or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support.
Podcast. Podcast.